Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. And before we get going with that, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us. Help us to serve and honor you with all our ways. As we sit here and as we listen to your word, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, show us where it is we need to grow, where it is that we need to hear and listen and submit to you. Help us to be a people who care very much to handle your word rightly and to most importantly obey and serve you, Father God. May we do so in the reliance of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who bought our salvation and shows us the way of holiness and the way of depth of love to you. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. That's where we're at today. And right here, in the midst of this, you have Paul. He got done talking about this uh, baptism idea, this idea of being dead with Christ in our sin when we're dunked under the water. And this idea of being raised with Christ in life when we're taken out. What that means for us, how that moves us from this idea of sins and condemnation and all this garbage that we've been bringing into our lives, but to leave that all behind. And to see what the world could be. To see what life could be if we would step into the openness of Jesus. To walk with Him instead of into the sin or into the worldly idea of how things should operate, but into Jesus' way. Into the truth of the way of who He is. And just before we catch into verse 15, verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as the instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace this is a refresher for the Romans here this is a refresher for those churches there that struggle with this idea of how does this look where do you go you see it been really hard for a lot of them to see what a world could be like to see what society could look like if We all just trusted in who Christ said he was. And so they kind of, they dealt with some of these problems of sin kept coming back. And one of the things Paul kept saying is, we don't let that sin anymore. We don't let that sin rule us. Some will say that all that sin is just physical garbage, that it's a problem of being in a physical world like we are. You're going to have it because that flesh and all those things are going to battle you and fight you. And it's just how it is. And Paul says, no, 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 it's deeper than that. If Jesus is redeeming us, our souls, our spirits, he's even redeeming our physical world. So these things that we need, the things like our food, our shelter, all these things, even in Genesis, those things were declared by God to be good because he made them. So he's even coming to redeem those things. So even all this stuff that we've been carrying around, we've got to figure out not how to get away from all that physical stuff, all that stuff we think is all sinful, but to actually decipher what is sinful and to abandon that and to walk in the newness of the Christian life. 
So here at verse 15, this is where we're going to catch up with what Paul's saying. Verse 15, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the proclamation from this today is the free gift of Christ is our relationship with Him and eternal life. And how that works itself out is in uh, three ways. The first is this idea of a lifestyle versus job. Christianity. Okay, we've all kind of, sometimes we've thought of it this way. Christianity becomes a job. It becomes what you do or what you don't do. What you listen to, what you don't listen to. What you watch, what you don't watch. What you drink, what you don't drink. So on and so forth. And in that sense, it becomes a job. It becomes something that you do. And if you're not careful, it almost becomes this idea that you clock in. You clock into it every day. And for a lot of people, they think that you're really only clocking into it on Sunday. You clock in, you put your time in here at the church, and then you clock out and you go on your merry way. And in the midst of this, we have this idea that you can separate your Christian life from your normal life, and that somehow those are separate things. And here in the midst of this, Paul is saying that's not actually the way it works at all. You see, you've been a slave to sin, and now that you're free from that sin, you're now a slave to righteousness. It becomes a lifestyle. And we're not really familiar with some of these terms because we don't see it. And this isn't quite like Southern slavery in the Civil War. That was a different type. But this old world slavery was this idea of every waking moment you served your master. You didn't have a time that was your own. All your time was his or hers. And so as you lived your life, you were always expected to do certain things. And Jesus uses this a lot. He uses these kind of motifs throughout the Gospels, too, to describe it. One of the things he said is, when you're a slave and you do all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing for your master, you work all day, and then at night, when your master comes home, you feed him first. You fix him supper first. You aren't doing anything greater than what you're supposed to be doing. You're already supposed to be doing. That's your job. But how much more does God love you because you you do that? When we do those things for God... We're not doing something extraordinary. We're doing what we just should be doing. Well, here there's that, and that kind of motif of that we're slaves then to sin. That's what we used to be. And now we're free. And now we get to be slaves to God. But it's not so negative. And Paul doesn't even like this example. He's using it because they'd understand it. But he even says that, that natural limitation of this is that I'm trying to explain something to you that is far deeper than what words can do. 
And here in the midst of this, he talks about this idea of Christianity. He's meaning it more as a lifestyle. It's a choice that you make, and then from that choice, you literally live it out every moment of every day. You wake up with it. You go to sleep with it. It doesn't trouble you. It's actually part of where and when you actually act. You don't think about situations as, well, do I do it this way or don't I do it this way? Do I do it like Jesus would do it or do I do it like I would do it? That becomes a job Christianity motif of of this idea of, well, is it Monday at 8 o'clock? Is that when I clocked in to be a Christian today? And you see you have this kind of weird semblance around there. I used to watch the Looney Tunes, and one of the, the characters was this dog, and I think it was a, was it a wolf or a fox? And they used to always, they'd go to work together, they'd arrive, and they'd say hi to each other, and then they'd clock in, and then they'd start chasing each other. But when they clock out at night, they'd stop chasing each other, and they would talk like they were old friends. We have this kind of motive with Christianity, where we clock in and we clock out when it's convenient. When it looks good, we clock in. When it looks bad, or when it takes a little toll on us, we get to clock out. And here Paul's saying you can't do that that way. Uh, one of the shows I really got into for a while was this show called Mountain Men. I don't know if you've seen that on Discovery. It's crazy because it's just so off the wall to me. Like, that these guys still do this old-time living now. And they want to. And uh, some of these guys, they live up in Alaska. They live in Montana and stuff. And uh, they'll have these cabins out in the middle of the woods. Nobody around. There's like, like 50 or so miles to the next guy. And they live there all year long. They don't clock out when it's winter. They're actually doing the most work when it's winter. They're making sure they have enough wood so that they can survive. They can be warm in their house. They make sure they trap enough meat and they have enough hides that they can sell and they can get what they want. It, it just it blows my mind that in the middle of a world that we live in right now with all the stuff we have technology-wise, that these guys would choose a way of life that you, you have to submit yourself to it entirely. You can't just half-heartedly do it. I mean, guys that go to cabins in the woods in the middle of winter, usually are skiing, snowmobile building, something like that. But these guys are living there in the midst of it all. And in some of those episodes, you know, a bear gets into their stuff or whatever, and I think, I have no desire to be anywhere near close to a bear like that. But here they are, and this is what they live with. And here Paul's trying to bring that, that idea back to us, this idea that it's a whole lifestyle. It's not something we stop and we start. It's something that when you start it, you're in it. And it just becomes you. And here the call of Christ is for the entire life, as a lifestyle, not a job. Because once again, the, the free gift of Christ is our relationship with Him and eternal life. Those aren't something that you just start and stop. Those are something you enter into, almost like a contract. The second point, this avalanche of service. Verse 17, but thanks be to God, that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. He talks about this idea that you have been set free from sin. You've, been, you've become slaves of righteousness. But he, he hearkens back to this idea because you've become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Now when you read that, he's calling back to a Christian tradition that the early church did. 
And one of the founding principles or one of the founding things that the way the church used to operate was that if you wanted to become a Christian, you didn't just profess that you wanted to believe in Jesus Christ and that was okay and then they just let you in and it all went well. They literally took you in and they started to show you what the Christian life was about. They took a year and sometimes more. And they would walk with you. They would teach you how to pray. They would teach you the scriptures. They would show you what a Christian lives like in terms of everyday stuff. They would walk with you there. They'd show you how it would look like for a relationship. Like if you were a husband, what it would look like how you treat your wife. Or if you're a wife, what that means now that you treat your husband. How does that work? And maybe the, the two of you aren't even saved at the same time. What does that look like? And for a year, they would walk you through. They would show you the disciplines of waiting, of praying, of meditating, of service, of love, of community. And there, towards the end of that year, or sometimes longer, then you would have this time where they taught you the doctrines. The things that they wanted you to know about Christ and God that were so important that they wanted you to get it right. But they spent that whole year helping you figure out service, helping you how to figure out what it is to live the Christian life, to walk through with it. So that at the end of that year, then you were baptized if you accepted all those things. And then you were entered into the Christian fellowship. The whole basis was that you would count the cost of what you were doing. You would have all these spots along the ways where it'd get hard. And if you really didn't see yourself doing this for the long haul, there you go. You could leave still. And they would show you the responsibilities of the life. To serve and to love those who are love, well, loveless and sometimes not lovable, and what that meant. And so they would walk you in. So when he says, and you have been, sorry, and you have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, that's what he means. You literally were helped to walk in this life. You've seen it firsthand. So now you've seen the way it looks. You're free from that sin. You can be something now that you couldn't be before. And he even says, that you have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. You've changed hands. And here, the fact is that this commitment, the way he's looking at it is, the good things that you've been doing, the things that you've been building your life with now, in that, that time of commitment and of education, is service to God. And it's been avalanche It's been building like a snowball. You've just been adding to it. You used to add your sin like that. You'd step foot in the sin and you would think, oh, well, I don't know. You, you were just a little crooked or a little rude or a little whatever. And that time it kind of felt gross and you thought, oh, I don't know, I wouldn't do that again maybe. And then the next time it got a little easier to be that way. It got a little easier to be mean or it got a little easier to be a thief or to steal or to lust or whatever. And over time you just built on your iniquity. And I look back at my life and I can see that. You know, I didn't start off as a great guy. I started off as kind of, well, a little jerk. And I just built upon it. By the time God got to me, I had walked willingly into a lot of sin. But by the time I got through that idea of what it is to be a Christian, all that seemed like a lot of baggage to have to get rid of. Because it just snowballed my whole life. Built more and more. The sin just kind of helped catapult me into deeper and deeper sin. That's what he's talking about. You know, even in the Middle Ages, the the Benedictine monks, when you would sign up to be a monk, you would say, I'm going to devote my whole life to being a monk. 
they would put you in a monastery with the other guys, and you would be given robes to dress and to look like the other monks, but they would put your clothes that you would come in with on a hanger, and they would stick it in your room. And that first year, at any time you wanted to, you could take those clothes, and you could put them back on, and you could leave. And you were free to do so. But that over this course of this, this time of initiation with them, that you would be shown the good ways or you'd be shown the way of Christ in such a degree that at the end of that time when you were accepted into the order, they would take those clothes. They wouldn't be in your room anymore because you've done away with that. That's the past now. That's put, a, put behind you. And not only that, but they don't, you don't miss it anymore because that's not who you are anymore. This is that idea that Paul's drawing here. That... For just as you once presented your members as slaves, and he says to impurity, to greater iniquity, greater and greater iniquity. So just as you walked willingly in the sin, more and more and more, now, because of Christ, you can walk into the other side, into a deeper relationship with Him. And so just like you threw yourself into sin, now you throw yourself into God. And you get deeper and deeper with Him. Your relationship grows in Him. You become further and further enjoyed rather than the sorrow of the sin you actually become more joyous and here he even says as so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification righteousness or being justified or being uh, declared right or being correct on the correct path if you want and then sanctification this idea of a deepness of relationship to God. That's what that big word means. It's just a deepness with God. A setting your life to Him more and more. Because as we serve Christ, we desire more of Him and a deeper relationship. And that walks us into the free gift of His. Well, His relationship with Him and His eternal life that He gives us. And that's all in Christ. Leads to the last one. Wages are gifts. Verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death, but now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's saying, when you were slaves of sin... You were free. You didn't have to obey the law of righteousness. You were in the law of sin. But now, when you look back on it, what did you actually get from it? Now you're ashamed of it. Now you're ashamed of the person you used to be. Now you're ashamed of the things you used to do. So you didn't get anything there. That was all wasted time. That was all wasted effort. Those are things that you didn't really want. Basically, you were paying for something that you didn't really care to get. And then he says... But now, you've been freed from that. And now you're enslaved to God. And now the advantage you get is that deeper relationship with Him. You get to walk in His relationship with Him. So He's going to get bigger, because that's the way it works. The more we pursue God, the deeper we go with Him, the bigger God gets. We start to see more of the majesty, more of the good, more of the justice, more of the love. You can't help but start to get just lost in it. Here's how big you thought God was, but the more you get to know Him, the bigger you realize He is. You think that 
here out of all this, when you look at your scriptures, when you look at that, you take it from creation to the end of Revelation, and you read that book over and over and over and over again, and you realize that lives and lives and lives of men and women have been spent in the pursuit of knowing God deeper. And even in these 66 books, they haven't even plumbed the depths of it. He's deeper yet. He's bigger yet. And he tells us that constantly. No matter how deep you think the love of God is, it's deeper still. You haven't even touched the bottom yet. And here, he goes on. So the God, the advantage you get is that relationship. And the end of that is you get to spend the rest of your eternity with him in that life. Because you've had this relationship with him. And the wages of sin, what you get, what you earn from your sin is death. But you don't get to earn your eternal life, but you get a free gift of it from God in Christ Jesus. Here, wages, that idea is that what you work for and have earned. A wage is something you earn. You have to put in work. You have to do something in it. Uh, this would have made a lot of sense, especially in this Roman era of where a soldier earned his wages. He did things. He showed up on time. He did the work he was supposed to do. He fought the battles he was supposed to fight. He would earn a wage. Money that was his. But that was exchanged for his wage. And here, Paul's saying, but what advantage did you get from doing all that sin? Where did that get you? And the ultimate choice or the, the, the consequences laid ahead of us is this idea that you may be happy for a little bit with it, but it's never going to be lasting. No one in just a little bit of sin ever stays there. They always dig deeper into it. They always go deeper because that wage isn't good enough. Committing those sins didn't make us happy. They made us more desirous of more sin. They, the, the wage kept drawing us in into this idea of death. We're going to die in those things. But here he, he says it, it's opposed to this idea of gift. And gift is something unearned and given without merit. The soldiers would earn their wage, but every once in a while, uh, whoever was the leader at the time, be it Caesar, be it the Senate, whatever, would approve to give the soldiers gifts for whatever reason. Sometimes it was because they felt like maybe the soldiers were a little maybe quarrelsome or unruly. So they'd throw some money at them to hopefully settle them down. And sometimes Caesar would come through and just give them money because he liked them. He thought they were doing a good job or whatever the case was. But it was never something they earned. It was always something they were just given. And here he's saying the benefit of God is this deepness in relationship, that you actually get to pursue this deepness in relationship. And not only that, but that's God's free gift that's tied to eternity. It's tied to where we're going that that relationship doesn't stop at death because God doesn't care about it. He doesn't care about death's hold. He breaks right through it. This relationship is for us for eternity. And here, I think often about that, that little catch. If you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Didn't work for me. I'm a bad fisherman. But I'm told it works for some people. In that, that's what sin does. It keeps you satisfied for right now. But tomorrow you're going to be back at it, and it's going to have to be a little bit more. And Paul's saying, no, but if you throw yourself in with Christ, if you throw yourself into this relationship wholeheartedly, 
God teaches you how to be with Him. And in the depths of that, you're always fed, and you're always going to find bigger and more enjoyment because it's never going to end. And here, this is actually... This service is helping us to be the kind of people that we're fit for eternity. God's moving us in this direction. That we're going to be a people worthy of eternity. Not because of what we've done, but because of how much we've let God do in us. This is huge. That we've become a people that are so captivated by God that literally our desire is to live with Him always. And to learn more about Him. To be better and truer with Him. And then that walks us through this. And that's that last part. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is grace. The favor of God going before us and in us and through us. Once again, the free gift of Christ is our relationship with Him and eternal life. And that's our call. Our desire but also our foundation, what keeps us safe. If you would, before we do the invitation hymn, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, help us. Help us to be your people. To abandon our life of sin, to abandon our failings, all the stuff that's gone before us. To help us to leave it all behind and trust in you to take that free gift that you've given us and a relationship with you to be deeper and truer with you and help us to cultivate that, to obey and in service to you, throw ourselves into that whole relationship as a lifestyle, not a job. We thank you. We praise you. Pray your hand and your mercy upon us as we go and live out the truths that you show us. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen.